Welcome to the Weird and the Wondrous Podcast, an unscripted, unstructured, unscheduled, and very possibly unhinged discussion of all things otherworldly, strange, uncanny, esoteric, the weird and the wondrous. This will probably be brief. Just thought of something recently. Um, the internet is has for oh, a few years, I guess, had an interest in liminal spaces. And uh, there is something really interesting to me about liminal spaces. Um, so if you've never heard of the term liminal space, a liminal space is basically... Like, imagine... Imagine back when you were in high school, if for whatever reason you were in high school at night and there was no one around, lights were probably off, and it just kind of felt weird. You know, these halls are usually full, now they're empty. And it's just something kind of weird about that. Or even, even when class is in session and you're getting up to go to the bathroom, that's not quite as much, but it's still pretty similar. It's like, yeah, this is a little weird. It's just different. It's just not, this is not how I usually experience these hallways. And, uh, so a liminal space basically, uh, the most basic idea of what a liminal space is, is it's a usually large place, large space, that is missing something essential to what how you think of it. So, um, and there's very, very often associated with some kind of nostalgia, like if you look up liminal spaces online or something, one thing you'll see a lot of is childhood experiences, like, a pool, a public pool, usually indoor. Little spaces are usually, not always, but usually indoors. Um, there are some very important exceptions to that because uh, I'm trying to think of, it might have been the Magnus Archives where there was a story, I think it was the Magnus Archives that I was listening to, with a story about a liminal space that was actually a neighborhood. And I've seen other liminal spaces that are that are outdoors, but it's usually a pretty large public area. I don't usually see a liminal space that's not a public area. The only exception that I can think of to that is imagine a living room with no furniture. So instead of lacking people that are usually there, the living room usually has furniture. In this case, there's no furniture. This I just don't realize how boring that description sounds probably. Uh, but when you actually look up the liminal spaces, they're kind of an interesting experience. Because, like I said, a lot of it has to do with nostalgia. Um, a lot of 90s stuff. Like, you know, I grew up in the... Uh, I was born in 86, so 90s was my childhood era. And 90s kind of had their own distinct flavor to them. It's like they were trying to be something other than the 80s, but they really weren't. Uh, music was a lot worse than the 80s. I think. Of course, I didn't really experience much pop music um, in the 90s anyway. Um, at any rate, 
Oh, you know what? Actually, a pretty good example, not really on purpose, but a good example of a liminal space is actually Five Nights at Freddy's. I don't like Five, Night at Fre Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, it's just not my kind of game. Um, I tried it, and it was just, no, I don't care for it. If you like it, that's fine. Go ahead and play it. But it, it, that's, that is an example because it's a childhood experience, like a, a place for children to gather, but you're there at night and there's no children around. But one thing that makes that not quite a luminal space is that there is still some animation. Like there, there are these autonomous things walking around and that's not really something that goes with, with, uh, I just heard something, I don't know what it was. That's not really something that goes with luminal spaces. And probably the most well-known liminal space is what's called the back rooms. And the back rooms is um, a series of rooms, and I can't really tell if it's if it's an office building or if it's more like a dingy old house, but like kind of infected-looking yellow wallpaper. And when I say infected, I mean like the color of infection, basically. Um, kind of ugly wallpaper from like you would expect to see for like in the 70s or something and of course there's no furniture or anything in there and it's enormous these rooms go in no particular particular direction one thing that very often goes with liminal spaces is disorientation um, because there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to like where you're going in these liminal spaces so it's very hard to navigate your way through them. There are a lot of video games that have uh, liminal spaces now. One of my favorite liminal spaces, just because of how weird it is, is called, and I didn't make this up, the Infinite Toilet Dimension. I think I learned about this from Shrouded Hand. And uh, it's uh, apparently something that people have dreamed about. Like, people have had dreams about the infinite toilet dimension. And that's just weird and hilarious. And by... It's just this gigantic, sprawling public bathroom that goes on for miles and miles. And it looks like it's been unmaintained, but at the same time, it looks like nobody's been there for decades. But it's still functional. It's just really, really old. Um... And it's, it's just this really, really weird idea of, like, this huge, enormous public bathroom and with all these twists and turns in these, in these, in these kind of hallways. Oh, but another kind of a liminal space that I thought of, I don't know if I say I thought of, but I've experienced, and I'm pretty sure everybody else that has ever driven a car on the highway, if you've ever been on a road trip, you'll know exactly what I mean by this. I was driving to, I was on a road trip that was like, I think it was 13, 14 hours long. And when you're on a road trip for that long, you know, your mind tends to, and there, I wasn't, it was, I was alone, there was nobody else with me. So you kind of start to think a little bit differently. I don't know how else to explain it, but you're... The way you experience space is different. Because when you're walking, you think in terms of two, maybe three dimensions, two because front and four, left and right. But then you could also think of up and down just in terms of like, you know, there's a bird, I need to walk upstairs. You know, there's so still up and down. There's this intuitive sense. 
of, of how space works. But with cars, it's more like you're always moving forward, so there's not really any forward because it's always there. It's like it's like how you know the old question of does a fish know that it's in water? And actually, yes, because fish can jump out of water, but maybe deep sea fish don't. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, since you're always moving forward, it's more like the real motion that you are aware of is not forward. It's left and right, because when you're on the highway, that's really all you do. And you don't, when you look ahead of you and behind you, what you're seeing is the past and the future. So the things that you see off in the distance that are on this, that are like by the road is the future, that you know you're going to pass by. And if there's a car that you're, that you're going faster than, and ahead of you is the future. But if it's going faster than you, and if it passed you, it's the past. And it's the same way in, in reverse. If you see a car coming up behind you, and they're going faster than you, that's the future. Because eventually they're going to have the same, they're going to be collinear with you on the road, and then they're part of your reality. But then after that, they're not part of your reality. And that... That would probably sound completely like nonsense unless you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been on a long, you've driven on a long road trip. And you see cars that look sometimes identical. You swear you see the same car drive past you five or six times. And they're also, they're not people, they're just cars. There are people in them, but you don't really see them, you just see the cars. So they're this sort of non-personal entities and you yourself are more like your car your body like you don't really think in terms of like when you turn the wheel if you go faster or slower you don't really think of push you don't actually think push down on the pedal unless you're first time driving or something because you're so muscle memory that you just think go faster or slower you go left or right you don't think about this is how i move my arms because you've already thought of that for you know decades depending on how long you've been driving it's it's too natural you don't you don't actively think about it and i like even whenever if the road curves so i need to turn the wheel i don't even realize i'm turning the wheel because I just think more of, it's so natural, it's just that like, I just turn the wheel and that's how I kind of feel like it's, I don't think of myself as being in a human body, I think of myself as being more like in a car. I, I am the car, the car is my body. I know that's such a weird way of saying it, maybe even slightly disturbing way of saying it, but I just always thought that was, that was, and it is this, there's something pretty similar with, with video games. Like if you're, um, you don't really think much about, if you're saying uh, my character, well, if you're saying, actually you didn't think of my character, like if you're playing Mario 64, for example, and you decide to jump, you don't think, I need to press the A button, you just think, I'm jumping. And you get so used to it, you don't even really think about it in terms of like your fingers that are doing it. 
but anyway, going back to going back to the highway as a kind of liminal space. I just the thing that's really so interesting is how we experience physical reality in such a different way whenever we're driving. And that just kind of makes you think how is the way that we usually experience the right way? And that kind of makes me think of um, oh, what was that guy's name? Henri Poincaré. Uh, when I was in college I was a I was a math major, and there's a, a concept in, in math called, um, well, you, you may have heard the term Euclidean geometry at one point. Euclid was, it'd be more accurate to say he was a teacher than a mathematician, I, I, because I don't know how much actual original math he did. He mostly just compiled teachings from other people and made a textbook called The Elements that was the standard uh, geometry textbook for 2,000 years, all over the West. Um, Abraham Lincoln used to carry out a copy of The Elements and read it to keep his mind sharp. And um, one of the ideas of... One of the ideas of... Of what's called Euclidean geometry. This is going to be very hard to explain because you really kind of have to see it. Is if you have a line and a point on that line, so try to picture that a line and a point on that line, then there exists exactly one line that passes through that point that is parallel to the original line. Because any other line that goes through that point is going to cross the other line at some point. That is an extremely important concept for a number of reasons. But the way math works is you have these, we'll call them primitive ideas, that are called axioms. And then you use any, any ideas that are not axioms you have to prove logically from those axioms. And what I just said, that the idea of a uh, point not on that line exists exactly one line through that point that is parallel to that line. That is something that they were trying to prove from the axioms for 2,000 years, I think. Maybe it was 1,500 years. It's been a while since I've studied this. They never could. They tried over and over. Euclid tried to do it. He, he didn't, Euclid didn't even want to make it an axiom. But finally they said, okay, we're just going to call this an axiom because we can't prove it from the other axioms. Then a mathematician named Gauss said, well, what if uh, Gauss is considered to be one of the greatest mathematicians of all time? Uh, Gauss and Archimedes and maybe Newton? I'm not sure about Newton. I remember there was a list of three greatest mathematicians of all time. Uh, so Gauss, this is actually going a lot longer than I thought it would already. Um, I did not expect to be talking about non-Euclidean geometries, but, but Gauss had the idea 
Well, what if, instead of trying to prove this, what if we just say it's not true? Because if we can logic, if we if we can say that there exists more than one line or no lines that go through that point that are parallel, then what if that what if that turns out to be a completely coherent logical system? But he also knew, and he, he turned out to be right. But he also knew that it wouldn't be a good idea to publish this because people would just kind of laugh at him and say, no, that's ridiculous. There's, we know that it's true. Even if we can't prove it, it has to be true. So he just kind of put it in his drawer and, and just didn't do anything with it. And then one of his students, a guy named Lobachevsky, I don't remember his first name, um, had, had the exact same idea, independently of Gauss, as far as I know, and then brought it to him and Gauss said, oh, yeah, I already thought of that. But I didn't do anything with it. But Lobachevsky was saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. So he decided to publish it. He wasn't really taken very seriously. People thought it was kind of stupid. Which I assume people probably thought imaginary numbers were kind of stupid when they first came out. First came out like it was a big release. Uh, I assume that. I actually don't know the history of imaginary numbers, though. Better to say complex numbers. The word imaginary is very misleading. A lot of math terms are, are misleading. You, 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 there are things about math that are very intuitive and things that are very not intuitive. And that's really something that you have to grapple with whenever you're dealing with math. But anyway, all this to say, now we have what's called non-Euclidean geometry. What if there are multiple lines that go through that? Now, we can't visualize it because it doesn't make any, any intuitive sense. Let's got a text message. Okay, I'm still recording. Uh, so what, so anyway, what, what if they're multiple? So we can't visualize it because our brains don't work that way. But what if that's the right one? What if that is actually correct? What if, what if there are multiple lines that go through that point? Who's to say that there aren't. Why can't we say that there aren't? Now that brings us to Henri Poincaré and a subject called conventionalism, a, a topic, a, a philosophy called conventionalism. He wrote a book that I read part of called uh, Science and Hypothesis. Uh, I didn't read the whole thing. I've got it, a copy of it. I, I should really read it sometime. But the idea is that a lot of the way that we think comes from conventions. And he got this idea because of non-Euclidean geometry. We couldn't prove that Euclidean geometry is what the physical world actually is. So what, maybe the world is maybe the universe is non-Euclidean. H.P. Lovecraft loved this concept, by the way. He, he used, um, like whenever you read Call of Cthulhu, which I highly recommend. I recommend you stop, read, stop listening to this right now and read Call of Cthulhu and then start playing this again. But when you, the city called Rollier, and, and there's probably a thousand ways to pronounce Rollier, um, 
the city called Royer, where Cthulhu dwells, is non-Euclidean. And the way he describes that is really fascinating because the angles don't make sense. How can an angle not make sense? And that's what makes that so, so fast, so cool. That's why I love that stuff. And actually, here's another, another similar subject. This is not horror, but um, there's another. There's a book. It's not horror. It's almost more of a comedy um, called Flatland. I want to say the, the author's name was Abbott. I don't remember. I I, I read this one quite a while ago and it's about these entities that live in two-dimensional space this I think probably illustrates the concept more than anything else is entities that live in two-dimensional space they don't know that there's a third dimension because they can't see it because they're two-dimensional creatures and then the story is about them being visited by a three-dimensional creature that to them seems magical because from a two-dimensional space, all they can see are two dimensions, so that a, a three-dimensional creature can di basically disappear from their perspective by leaving, the, by leaving the plane in which they live. So the implications of this is maybe there are more than three spatial dimensions and we only know of three. That's another one that Lovecraft loved. Um, that became important in uh, Dreams in the Witch House. And now all of this goes back to the liminal space while, while driving. Because while I'm driving, I experience, I perceive space for long, long periods of time. And imagine, you know, I imagine it's probably this way with sailors too. Because um, I know that they're sailing, is supposed to be, I've actually, I've, no, I've never sailed on a frigate or whatever. Um, I'm trying to remember if I've ever even been on a boat. I can't think of any time. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, just, I don't really know how to put it to words, but the experience, the way we perceive space is different when we're been on the road for a long time. Imagine if someone, and this goes a little bit back to Plato's allegory of the cave. Imagine if someone experienced their entire life from birth in a car. On a highway. And they wouldn't be able to understand, if, you, if they got out of the car, they wouldn't really be able to understand movement in the more natural sense. Oh, gosh, I'm starting to feel like I'm... I'm in high school philosophy class. <laughs> I know, it's really goofy, but it is something really interesting about this subject. Um, and I think that there are some interesting implications of what is... How do we know that the way we experience... Um, the way that we experience the physical world, what philosophers call extension, is the correct way to perceive it. Well, we really don't. Now, what are the practical implications of this? Basically nothing. Uh, and I know that it's really easy to, to 
try to think this means more than it is, but it's really nothing more than just, this is interesting for the most part. Oh, and something else that's often associated with, uh, with uh, liminal spaces is biblically accurate angels, which is pretty cool. Um, having been uh, a Christian for as long as a Baptist can be, if you understand credo-baptism and uh, pedo-baptism, you understand what that means. But having been a Christian for as long as a Baptist could be, having been born and raised in the church, I could at least say that much. Um, I've been aware of biblically accurate angels for a very long time, but it's only recently that when the internet became aware of this, that, hey, the description of angels in Ezekiel is weird stuff. And it's it's cool. Um... I kind of like to see that there have been some people, some artwork based on those, the wheels full of eyes, uh, the three living creatures in Revelation. Somehow or another, those creatures usually, uh, th those kinds of entities, often make their way into liminal spaces. I don't know why that is. But, anyway. Well, wow, I did not expect this to be more than five minutes. It's now 25 minutes. Alrighty, well, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and stop this now. Like I said, this is just me blathering. Um, and I know that everybody's already talked about the the little spaces to death, but it's a cool subject. And I'm not looking to do anything innovative with this. It's just me blathering, like I've always said. Alrighty, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Weird and the Wondrous podcast. Music is Passacaglia and Fugue in C minor, composed by Johann Sebastian Bach and performed by Alexander Weske on the synthesizer. Alexander Weske can be found on YouTube. Weske is W-E-S-K-I. And I recommend you looking up the video that goes with this particular uh, song, Passacaglia and Fugue. It's a pretty neat video. Until next time, thank you for stopping by. Thank you.